Before we get into the message today, I'm just going to pray and invite, invite the Lord's leading through this message for us. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for how you're already meeting us in this place this morning, Lord. I thank you for the testimony of your goodness. I thank you for the testimony of your love. I thank, I thank you, Lord, that we've been singing today about, about your faithfulness, about who you are, about your goodness, Lord, about your kindness, and, and Lord, about your freedom that you give us. We thank you that we can come to you, Father, and that your heart for us is freedom. Your heart for us is restoration. Your heart for us is love. I ask today, Lord, as we speak and as we reflect, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and illuminate in us your message to us today. I ask that you would make connections that, that aren't even spoken today, Lord, but you, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would set captives free and you would draw us close to you as your sons and daughters. We thank you on this Father's Day. And we ask, may we glorify you today, Father, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we got to do a story time, and this week we're going to do another story time. And it's Father's Day, so for all the fathers who weren't here when we started this morning, happy Father's Day to you. All the fathers that are, all the fathers that have been, and all the fathers that are yet to come, happy Father's Day. It's important, I think, on Father's Day to, to pause and, and do a message about fatherhood. We had a, a fun time doing a Mother's Day message this year and um, speaking about what it is to be a mom. As best as I, as a man who's never been a mom, can speak about it uh, at this stage in my life. Um, but today I want to speak about fathers. And, and like I shared on Mother's Day, Father's Day is very similar in that it has, it's a day of mixed emotions. Uh, some of us have had excellent fathers, and we have a lot of great things that we can reflect on. Some of us have had fathers that abandoned us or were, were hard on us, and Father's Day can be a difficult reflection. There's a broad spectrum in there. Those of us who are fathers could be joyous in, in thinking about the times that we've experienced being a father, and then there's other, other sorrows that are associated with being fathers. There's, there's a lot of loss that has taken place along the way for many of us, whether it's a an actual physical loss of a child. It could be a, a loss in relationship with a child. It could be a lot of difficult memories of being a father and being helpless in the midst of the scenarios that, that come across our, our path. And so it's a, it's a mixed day, and it's important for us to recognize that. We should celebrate it, absolutely. And we want to be honoring fathers and, and honoring fatherhood in general. Uh, but I think especially as Christians, uh, we have that ability that, um, like Elisha, and say, my father, my father, where we stand there and we see the one who has been that earthly, represent, earthly representative of father to us, and we also have the reflection of who our, our heavenly father is at the same time. And so we have a, an opportunity today to, to really honor both. So I'm going to uh, bring us through a story, it's a story time, and there's a lot of places we can go in scripture to tell stories about fathers. I think we, there's obvious ones like the, the prodigal son, and there's, uh, we could also talk about Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. I mean, there's uh, Abraham who waited, you know, long to be a father. Um, but I'm going to go to a place today in Mark chapter 5 that is um, maybe not the most obvious place to go to, about fatherhood, but it's a deep place, I believe, to go with fatherhood. We're going to be talking today about the story of Jairus and his daughter. And I'd like to go here because when we consider the gospel and the message of the gospel, I think it's valuable for us to recognize that the gospel is done in extremity. You have extreme sacrifice. You have extreme love, 
you're at a place of extreme desperation. And Jesus works not only in the comfortable places for us, but he works in the edges, and he works in the margins, and he works in the most extreme places, the most extreme situations, and he offends us and he offends the world by how extreme he is and how far he's willing to go to demonstrate the Father's love for us. So we're going to talk about Jairus and his daughter. Now, where this lands in Scripture is earlier than last week's message, before we see Jesus walking on the water, but it does take place after another storm where he has been in the boat with the disciples, and it's bucking around, and like the other storm, it's tossing them all over the place. They're fearing for their lives. They're terrified, and he's sleeping in the back of the boat on a cushion. And when he's awoken by them, he calms the storm. And we see him demonstrating his, his authority over nature. And when they hop out of the boat on the other side, they're in the region of the Gadarenes, and what's waiting for them there but ministry to a demoniac who is he's possessed by a legion of demons. The people are fearful of him. He breaks, breaks out of everything they put him in. He's, you know, he's living in the... Um, in the cemetery, and it's, it's a scary thing, but he, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus frees him of a legion of demons, and we see, uh, we see them you know, going off into the pigs. The pigs go off the, the cliff and, and die, and here this man becomes someone who's proclaiming the message of Jesus now in this region, a complete transformation. That's an incredible amount of power that Jesus is demonstrating there and love for this man. Now, we see after this, he gets back in the boat and heads back to the other side, and that's what brings us to our story. Now, we see the story of Jairus and his daughter told three times in Scripture. We see it in Mark, we see it in Luke, and we see it in Matthew. And each account, slightly different. Matthew's is the most abbreviated version of it, but in Mark and Luke, we see a fairly consistent storyline there. And I'm going to be moving... Through, um, through Mark today, because I, I like the way it captures things, and I'll probably reference a couple of the other places, but like last week, I encourage you, go this week and read through each of the stories and, and the accounts of them, because you'll see some uh, different emphases that come forward in each, in each account. So, I'm going to read through it first, and afterwards, we'll go through and and talk through it like we did last week. I'm going to pull some points forward that, that show us uh, that we have the surface level that we can look at, but there's much deeper levels that are taking place in these, these stories. So we're going to get started here. And this is found in Mark chapter 5 and starting in verse 21. If you have your Bibles, please have them open, whether it's digital or it's, or it's manual. Uh, it's important for you to read actively in your Bible. Highlight things, write things down. If there's things that the Holy Spirit reveals to you today, put it in your margins or put it in your notes in your, uh, in your Bible app uh, because you want to be able to reflect on those in the future. Those are, those are part of your milestones along your, your roadway through Scripture with the Lord and your journey with Him. And you'll, want to, you'll, you'll come back across it in the future. And it's good to remind yourself of what He's showed you. So we'll just read it here. When Jesus again had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
At once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding, you see the people crowding around you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let any, anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, koum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And told them to give her something to eat. Now, when you read through the other two accounts, you'll see that same progression, except Matthew, being concise, pulls it together and he he says that as Jairus came to him, he said, my daughter is dead. Has the same overall effect. She was dead by the time they got to the Uh, got to the house. But there's several things I'd like to be able to pull forward in in this story. It's a powerful story. And something that's very interesting is you go through the three accounts of it, you'll always see this miracle within a miracle in this story. We talk about Jairus' daughter, and we talk about the woman with the issue of blood like they're two different occurrences. They're two separate stories in the Bible. So we're drawn to them because they're each, they're each powerful stories, but they're connected. And it's always told connected. The story of Jairus' daughter being healed is never told without the woman with the issue of blood. And the woman with the issue of blood is never told without the context of the story of Jairus' daughter. So let's look at this a little bit deeper. I think it's pretty safe to say we're in Capernaum, and Jairus is a leader in the synagogue. It's considered he could be one of the leaders, he could be the leader, but he is a leader in the synagogue. And at this time, Jesus isn't all that popular with synagogue leaders, right? But this man is in a position of authority, he's likely wealthy. He's been able to get whatever care he's been able to for his daughter, but his daughter is at the point of death. This man is desperate. Now, when we consider fathers, as fathers, we know that our, part of our role, part of our responsibility is to be protector, it's to be provider, it's to do everything that we can to watch over our children, to, to love them and care for them, and, and stand in that place of being strong and supportive And there's no reason to believe that he was otherwise. But there's certain times in Scripture we find that other aspect that many of us fathers experience somewhere along our our journey with God, and that is we have reached the end of ourselves and our ability to provide for our children. We've reached the end of ourselves and our ability where our strength is what can carry the day. We've reached that place where we are desperate For something to happen. We don't have it within ourselves to make it happen anymore. And this man is at the place where his daughter, who's 12 years old, is about to die. He's the leader of the synagogue. 
This is a man who's about the things of God. He's about the order of the house. He's about the caring of, for the, the people in the community. And he's at the end of his rope. And what is it that he does? He has an opportunity where he hears that the one that many leaders at this point in time in his position are opposed to is there. And with the rest of the throng of people, he's going to him for healing. Not for himself, but for his daughter, his little girl. His little girl's about to die. And he's desperate. So what does he do? He humbles himself at the feet of Jesus. He pleads with Jesus. And you hear in in him faith. It says he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. That's daddy language. My little girl is is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Not, maybe if you come and pray for her, she might be. Please come and pray for her so that she will be healed and live. It's a very sober request from a daddy. He wants his little girl to live, and he's got no other shot here. Now, let's put this whole thing in context in the immediate sense. Don't, when you're reading over the Bible, through the Bible, just read over the top surface of this. These, these aren't just stories. These are, these are actual things that took place. It's not just 2D, and it's not just 3D. It's 4D. The whole thing is going along through motion. So really try to understand what is taking place here. What is the scene looking like? There are throngs of people about Jesus is just getting off the boat. And here's all these people waiting for him. And they want healing. They want him to minister to them. They need deliverance. There's, everybody's coming at him with need right now. But what is it that Jesus hears? My little girl is dying. Please come and heal her. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the exact representation of the Father. He is putting the Father on display with skin on all the time. So when you watch Jesus do what he does, you're seeing the activity and the outpouring of the heart of our Father, our Father God. And what does our Father hear? He hears the voice of another Father, who's also his Son, crying out to him and saying, please come and heal my little girl. And we see him, yes, I'm going to come with you. Along the way, something happens. Jesus is moving through this crowd. And suddenly we find out that there's another, another storyline here. And there's many storylines that are going on in this situation. But two come to the surface and are recorded in history. We see the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years in that same crowd. She likewise is desperate. She has been to all the surgeons that she can think of, that she can find. She's been to doctors, and it says no one can heal her. She's expended all of her resources. She's out of money. She's out of time. She's, she's done everything she can. And she's also out of the community. For 12 years, she's been ceremonially unclean, which means she can't really attach to her community. And it's by no fault of her own. She's an outcast. She's, she's lost whatever maybe monetary inheritance that she's had. She's lost her inheritance inside the community. She has been orphaned in this, in this situation. She is desperate. She's not supposed to be in that crowd. She's not supposed to be around other people. But she's there, and she's pressing in, and she's fearful. And she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, just the outer edges of his clothes, then I'm going to be healed. She demonstrates great faith that's drawing on heaven that says, I have no other option, but I'm here. She's, she's right at that same place that Jairus is. Remember, he came down and he, he pleaded at his feet, please, 
My little girl, she's dying. And here we have another little girl who's dying. She's been dying for 12 years. And she's pleading with him. And she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And she's made whole. She's restored. He didn't, he didn't do anything but walk through the area. And pe- she's not the only person who's touching him. But she touched him in a very specific place. She touched the hem of his garment. And we'll, we'll get into that. But remember that. She touched that place. He feels power drawn out of him and says, Who touched me? What do you mean, who touched you? The whole city's around you right now. We're pushing through the crowd. Everybody's touching you. How can you say, Who touched me? No, who touched me? Who touched me? Somebody laid hold of me today. I'm not just an attraction. I am the answer to somebody today. And they touched me. Who I am. And she's fearful. And so she, it was me, and she discloses the situation. She's scared because, remember, she's not supposed to be there. She's ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. She's been outcast. And he... He hears this testimony. Now, meanwhile, Jairus, daddy, has somehow found the attention of the master at this moment. Right? They're on the way to the house. And all of a sudden, he's not the focus anymore. His daughter's not the focus anymore. Another woman now has the attention of, of him. Parents, imagine what that feels like in that moment. It's the... Oh, I don't want... Can we hurry up? Every moment matters to him right now. Every moment matters. It's very similar to to Lazarus at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, where if you had just come sooner, you may have been able to save my brother. This is the same type of tension that he's feeling. We've got to get there. She's dying. She's on the edge of death. And... Jesus' attention now is on this woman. Wait, 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 what just happened, right? Pause, time out. No, no time out, we got to run. And he hears this story. And what does he say to her? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There's liberty, there's freedom. We've been singing it all morning. Freedom, 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 freedom. There's a spirit of freedom in the house this morning. We've got some prophetic words to share at the end, and there's a spirit of freedom in the house this morning. If you feel bound, listen today, because the Spirit of God is speaking to you. He calls her daughter. Nowhere else in Scripture does Jesus call anybody daughter. That's unique. We have to pay attention to that. He doesn't anywhere else say daughter to anybody. He calls her daughter. That's that's specific, and it's specific language. Now, while this is happening, Jairus, who's on the edge of his seat, must be, right? Imagine it. Imagine where you would be if this was you. Somebody comes from his house and says, hey, I'm sorry to tell you, but she died. Let's just let him go. Let let the master do what he's going to be doing. We don't need to be bothering him anymore. Jesus hears that. Remember, he's not bound by time in this situation. There's a back and forth that's going on in the story as Jairus is making his journey through this. He's got great faith. He's just seen a woman who for 12 years has been bleeding for the entire life of his child who is now about to die. This woman has been bleeding. So imagine hearing this and well, she's been bleeding for 12 years. My daughter's 12. Something's, this, something's happening, right? He sees her get healed. Well, if, if he can heal her, then he can heal my daughter. And then he gets the news. His daughter's dead. So imagine the crash that comes with that. Every, your hope, everything, everything in you. You've got to probably, probably wants to puke, you know, just to think about, like, oh, my gosh, this all, the bottom just fell out of this. And then Jesus speaks to him. 
Again, don't be afraid. Just believe. It's the same thing Jesus told them in the storm. Don't be afraid. It's me. He says, just believe. I've got this. He takes with him the three. And when they get there, you see the mourners. Usually they're paid mourners. They're there to, to do the duty of, paying, of, of mourning and grieving. And they're doing their thing, making a big clamor. And Jesus says, stop, get, get this out of here. She's just sleeping. They laugh at him. They scoff at him. You know, get, get this unbelief out of here. And he goes in there and he speaks to her. Little girl, get up. And she does. And Jesus, he's operating on a different plane, right? We talked about this before. He's, he's coming from a completely different economy. His kingdom is superior to this kingdom. But we're also in this kingdom. And he says, feed her. She's probably hungry. Right? So practical. He just gave her new life and says, all right, just now. Give her a snack. She's, she's earned it. Twelve years. This story is going on simultaneously. It's, not, it's no mistake that there were twelve years there, and then there's twelve years there. The same time frame. It's no mistake that, that the representative of the Father, in the most purest form that there ever will be, he is, he is the exact representation of his being, is there. Here's the cry of a father, resonates with it, and on his way, a daughter comes for healing. I, I submit this. Jesus, as he was going to Jairus' house, was operating in an anointing that was there to go heal a daughter. And there was a daughter who drew on that anointing along the way. That's not to say he couldn't have healed her otherwise. I'm just saying there's a, there's a resonance that's taking place in the spirit right now where she laid hold of him and she was healed. And he refers to her as daughter. Now, he might not be any older than her. He might be younger than her. But this is the eternal God, the eternal Father, through his Son, who calls her daughter. She's been an outcast. She's been an orphan. And he identifies her as family. Right there. That's huge. That's huge. And then we still see... A daughter is healed. A family is restored. She's been given life. She's been, she's been completely restored. She's been given health. And what was started out to have been done at the beginning of the story is brought to completion. And in the, in the middle there, we have another miracle that takes place inside of it. When we look at the woman who, who came to him and, and touched the hem of his garment. There's a couple of markers there that likely did for, for those who heard this story the, the first time, those that, are, those that were the Jews, as they heard this, there's probably something else they heard here. Because remember, they've, they've all been educated in what we consider to be the Old Testament, Right? In the history and in the stories there, touching the hem of someone's garment is, is important. And the fact that he called her daughter is also important. You've been in Ruth recently, anybody? The story of Ruth comes up as a connection point here. Brief overview of Ruth. <clears throat> Ruth, Ruth is the... Moabite daughter-in-law of Naomi, who's from Bethlehem. And Naomi's husband and all of her sons die. And she's got her two daughters-in-law. And Ruth is the one that actually ends up staying with her while their inheritance has been spent. They, they, they've got nothing. They're completely cut off from their family. They're in a, different, a, a distant land. 
it is actually Ruth's homeland, but Naomi's going back home to Bethlehem to finish out her days, but she is, she's a ruined woman. And Ruth stays with her and actually goes with her back to Bethlehem. And while she's there, she gleans in the fields, and she ends up gleaning in the field of Boaz, who is a kinsman redeemer. So he's one of their kinsmen, and, and kinsman redemption goes back to what we call Leverite laws, and it's part of the, the Levitical or the, uh, uh, the legal structure that God set up within families to where inheritance could be restored, uh, a property could be restored. If there was no heir, a, a, a brother or the closest of kin would, would marry that woman so that, that the, the one who had died, their name would live on in an heir. So it wouldn't be the heir of the, that father, it would be the heir of the one who, who passed along. But it was so that the inheritance could pass along through. So Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, and we find in the story that he is a very righteous man. And there comes a moment where he's going to be at the threshing floor. And Naomi tells Ruth, you need to go meet him at the threshing floor. And put on your best clothes, wear your best perfume. He's going to do his work tonight, and he's going to sleep. And when he does, go and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet, and he will tell you what to do. So let's go to Ruth chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 5. So we find this. Ruth says this. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Scandalous, right? Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And IV says guardian redeemer. Sometimes you'll just find redeemer. Other times you'll find kinsman redeemer. It's the same concept. He is kinsman and he's there as one who can redeem and restore. The Lord bless you. My daughter. So we have a request for the corner of the garment, and we have the Redeemer calling her daughter. Remember, she is the orphan daughter of an orphan. She's not native to this land. She said to Naomi, Let your gods be my God, and let let your people be my people. She has come into this. And he calls her my daughter. Now, that part of the garment that is the corner is sometimes, and actually if you look into the Hebrew here, it's called the wings. And he, she asks him to, to spread his wing over her. And it carries with it that type of, that, that covering, that, that protection, that, that support, that oversight that that brooding type of a sense of being under the cover of the wings she's basically saying will you marry me and he being a righteous man says I am a kinsman redeemer but I'm not the closest one and the next morning he goes to the place where he can actually allow that to be adjudicated to see if he'll be allowed to be her kinsman redeemer And the man who is closest gives up his rights and passes it along to Boaz. Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer. He he becomes her husband. They end up having a child who is Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. This is in Jesus' lineage. And here he is, in his time, he finds the woman who's been outcast from, from society. She's lost all of her inheritance. She's been bleeding No one's been able to help her. And he calls her daughter when she draws on the corner of his garment. It says in Malachi 4.2, 
And this is messianic. But for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. We recognize this to be Jesus. He will rise. He has healing in his wings. And we see that actually play out here as she touches the tip of his wing. She comes under his covering. He calls her daughter. She's fully restored and set free. Why are we talking about this? I thought we were talking about Jairus and his daughter. It's Father's Day. We can see an earthly representation of a righteous father who's coming before God for his child. He's demonstrating the heart of the father, which is for his children. He's willing to go to extreme measures so that his daughter can be healed and set free and so that she can have life and have it abundantly. Sound familiar? And the the representative of the father, the perfect son, is there. And he identifies as father with a daughter along the way from an eternal standpoint and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go be in peace. As he's going to heal another daughter. This is like a nesting doll of, of story of father over daughter. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He went to the cross for us. You see, the Father loved the world, all of us, so much that he sent his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We see him in this, in this process bringing life, restoring, and being a kinsman redeemer. It's self-consistent with the message of the gospel. He's come to heal us, and to set us free. He's come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. When we look at the true nature and character of the Father, it is love. It is love that motivates everything that He does. It's extreme, it's extravagant, it's humble. Remember, Jesus humbled Himself even to the point of death, to even death on a cross so that we might be restored to our Father, restored into our inheritance, brought from being an orphan to a son, and given life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think it's really interesting that we look at Jesus as the Messiah is the son of the Father. When he goes to the cross, before he goes to the cross, I think I spoke about this recently, but there was another man who was freed in his place. Do you remember? What's his name? What's his name? Barabbas. What does Barabbas mean? Son of a father. Do you ever think about that? There are gems lying on the ground for us. And sometimes we just have to pick them up. Barabbas, who is actually an insurrectionist, which is what Jesus was being tried for, is named son of a father. He's a murderer. He's the one who actually deserves the punishment that Jesus ends up getting. In fact, some manuscripts call him Jesus Barabbas. Because Jesus is, it's Joshua, right? How many Joshua's and John's do you know running around the world? Jesus is not the only Jesus living at that moment in time. So when In Matthew 27, where we see in some translations, Pilate saying, you choose who I release. Do you want me to release Jesus, the son of a father, or Jesus, the Messiah? 
We want you to release Jesus, Son of the Father, not the Messiah. They're making their choice as a people against him. The son of a father, which could mean the son of a rabbi, son of a teacher. But Jesus is the son of the father. But even in his his time coming to the cross, we see freedom being given to someone who he's dying in the place of. That he's being accused for what they have done. And they, they almost bear the same name. The heart of the Father is extreme in how far he will go to demonstrate his love for us. Here at our Father's house, our vision is we want to see a hurting world healed. We want to see people launched in their destiny. And that's what we see in this moment, in this story. It's the heart of the Father that wants to see that hurting world healed. His daughter is hurting. His daughter is dead. His daughter is dying. So that they can be released to what they have been called to be, what they've been destined to be in Him. How does it happen? By putting the Father on display. By loving as extremely as He does. His his love and the magnitude and the distance that He is willing to go with His love will offend any single one of us. Because somewhere in there, we find that Jesus is always willing to go farther than we're able to go. But He says, I'm just going to keep pushing you forward into that. I'm going to keep saying, come deeper in here with me because I'm going to show you how deep my love goes, not just for you, but for others as well. And it is his love that sets us free. We have a couple prophetic words this morning I'd like to have shared. Linnea, could you share first? And then Peggy, I'd like you to share the words you shared with me earlier. first picture I saw this morning was a, fiber, a spider web, and it appeared that there was someone caught in this spider web. They were trying to get free, but they, the more they tried, the more they got tangled. And then the spider web began to feel like more like an octopus with tentacles, and that they couldn't get out. But... As we know, there is freedom. The other picture I had was uh, a picture of someone who felt trapped. And it was like they were bound with a rope that was tightly wrapped around them from their mouth to their ankles. So they could not move and they had no voice. In both of these situations, that's what it felt like. And there might have been circumstances that would cause them to think that. But again, I'm saying this so that if it's you, you can come and find the freedom that Jesus has for you. There is freedom to be unloosed or to be set free. And it might not be just like that but it is there, and we can begin that process today. And the Father offers uh, another welcome. I had the impression of God the Father standing with his arms open, waiting 
If you feel that you have been separated from him through whatever reason, your choice or COVID, whatever, he's standing there waiting. He says, my arms are open and I welcome you. And he says, don't walk, run, run. And in running, I think you will find the freedom that Linnea is talking about. You will find that freedom. And he says, come, and I will welcome you. Thank you both. There's a message of freedom here this morning, in case you haven't heard it. We've been singing it this morning. We're speaking about it. Freedom, healing, liberty. And the Lord's revealing, I see where you feel that you are bound, but I am here to set you free. We're going to do communion, and then we're going to have a time of prayer, okay? So if you didn't get communion and you need it, please raise your hand. We'll have someone come and bring you a communion cup. At home, go ahead and prepare whatever you're going to use for communion. It's the blood of Jesus that sets us free. His blood is enough for everything. It doesn't matter what it is. His blood is enough for everything. When we consider Barabbas, the son of a father, who deserved death, we don't know what happened to him after this whole situation took place, but we we recognize that one deserving of death was set free in the place of one who did not deserve death. And his name was the son of a father. We can see ourselves in that. Whether we're still outside the body of Christ or not, Jesus died for us. Whether we're still outside the body of Christ or not, Our Heavenly Father wants us, and He wants us to be living in freedom, and He wants us to be restored to our inheritance in Him. And He's willing to go to extremes for that to happen. He's willing to leave the 99 and go for the 1, always. And He calls us to that same place, to that same degree of extravagant love that says, Nope, I'm going. We look at the the, the. the story of the prodigal son. Remember what he'd been living in before he came back to his father? He didn't come back in some pristine condition. The father ran to him because he wanted his son. Didn't care that he smelled like pig stuff. It was his boy. It was his son. And he calls us to that same extravagant love that when we see one another inside the body of Christ, we'll remember, this is my brother, this is my sister. When we see somebody outside of the body of Christ, we remember, this is my brother, this is my sister. This is also a son of the Father. And just like me, he deserves a death that Jesus already paid for. I don't care what you're bound up in right now. The word of the Lord for you today is, come to me and I will give you freedom. Come to me. If you just touch the hem of my garment, I'll bring you freedom. I'll bring you healing. I'll bring you liberty and restoration. But you've got to come to me. You have to come under my covering. You can't do it on your own. You'll expend all that you have and it will not be enough. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter who you know, you will come to the end. Come to me. We're reminded of his body that was broken for us. 
We eat this wafer, we eat the bread, the cracker, whatever it is. We were reminded that his body was broken for us. He didn't deserve it. But he did it willingly. Willingly put himself in that place, that that point of pain. Allowing that to come upon himself. Any single one of us deserved what he got. But he took it for every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you allowed your body to be broken for us. And then his blood was poured out for us. The blood of Jesus what sets us free from every captivity. It's his blood that heals every wound, every disease. It's his blood that brings new life to us. So, Lord, we thank you. Right now, we remember your body and your blood broken and poured out for us. Lord, let us live in that reality. This actually happened. This miracle actually took place. You actually did it for us, Lord. And we thank you. And we choose again today to remember it. Hallelujah. Take it, eat, and drink. Right, we're going to have a time of prayer. Two things I'd like us to do this morning. <clears throat> For those that are altar ministries, I'd like you guys to come forward, the prophetic team, come here to the side. If, if you heard that word today, or those words, and you said, there's something in me that I feel bound up in, and I want to be able to respond. I'd like you to be able to come and respond. They'll pray for you up here at the front. I also want to pray because we've been speaking today about a woman with an issue of blood. We've been speaking today about a daughter that needs healing. I think there's, I think there's grace on this right now. Okay? And so you don't have to raise your hands to identify yourself. But if you're a lady and you have, you're having challenges with things that are unique to you as a woman, I'd like you to just, just even very discreetly, just you know, hold your hand in your belly. And what I would really like to do, men, fathers, I'd like you to stand right now. Men, fathers, I'd like you to stand right now. And this is also for the Ladies at home, for the men at home, the fathers that are at home right now as well. I want to honor that we're here today on Father's Day. We've been speaking about the heart of the Father. We've been speaking about the power that is released by our Father to bring healing to those that are desperate. So men, we're just going to put our hands out right now like this. And as fathers, we're going to stand in this place here and just say, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and heal your daughters. Heal your little girls, Lord. Lord, right now we just release your grace for healing in those desperate places. Lord, I speak against endometriosis. I speak against infertility. I speak against cervical cancer, Lord. I speak against tumors or growths or anything that would be causing any sort of malady in the reproduction, in the reproductive systems of every woman who is hearing right now, Lord Jesus. Let your word go forth right now, Lord, and bring freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Lord, we as as your sons, as the fathers that you have here right now, Lord, we choose to resonate with your spirit and resonate with the word that you're releasing today to bring healing, Lord Jesus. Lord, you've called us to be a house of healing, and we stand right now to take the opportunity to just release life, to release love, to release freedom in the name of Jesus. Lord, as you pour out your blessing on your daughters right now, 
We thank you, Lord, for the privileged place that you have given us, Father, to release your blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we ask right now for your healing to go forth in love. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You are our example. We thank you, Jesus. You are our Father. We thank you, Jesus. I ask that you would bless each of these fathers right now, Lord, as we draw close to your heart right now. The Holy Spirit, you would, you would infuse us with the love of a father. Lord, as we stand in this place, by your Spirit, Lord, I ask that there will be a deposit that is left right now on every father. That the residue of your spirit, the residue of your love, would attach itself to us, Lord, and knock loose anything that would, would keep us frozen in our hearts right now, Lord Jesus. I just ask for the, the warmth of your love to just come through each of these men right now, Lord. Transformative love in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, pour forth your healing through us right now. As we come into agreement, Lord. Lord, I speak your blessing over our households. I speak your blessing over this household, Lord. We are, we are under the shelter of your wings here. So, Lord, we just, right now, say, come Holy Spirit and do your work here. Within this household, Lord, and within each of our households, Lord. We bless every woman in this place in Jesus' name. We bless every woman in this place in Jesus' name. We receive every woman in this place in Jesus' name. You are not orphaned. You are not defiled. You are not unclean. You are daughter. You are a pearl of great price. You are princess. You are heir. And I'm reminded of this. The daughter of a lion is a lion. You're not a kitty cat. The daughter of a lion is a lion. Father, I ask that you would speak your courage to the hearts of our women. I ask that you would speak courage and strength to the hearts of our daughters, Lord. Not only those that are mature, but those like the 12-year-old daughter, Lord, the little girl, are still ahead of that point of maturity. Lord, that you would bless them right now with a freedom and a strength that we have not yet seen. We bless them right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to call forth our, our altar ministers. If you need prayer this morning, if you, need, if you resonated with that word and said, Lord, I need to come before you and receive that freedom, I'm going to invite you to come forward here. Otherwise, we're going to bless everybody. We will see you this Wednesday night. We're going to have our, our final pursuit night of this month of prayer and fasting that we've been in. It's been good, folks. We've been really just meeting with the presence of the Lord there. If you haven't come out yet, come out this time. This is, this is closing off our 40 days of or our month of prayer and fasting. And I'm um, just so excited what the Lord is doing in this time ahead of next weekend as we have our change of command. So, Father, I just thank you for all your people. I thank you for your message of freedom today, Lord. I thank you that you're setting captives free, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for healing, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the blessings upon fathers and the blessings through fathers today, Lord, to our children, to our wives, to our women, to our daughters, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father. For who you are, let us, Lord Jesus, here in our Father's house, grow more and more and more in the love of the Father. Lord, let us take up, Lord, your challenge to love more, to go deeper, Lord, to go farther, Lord, to release your grace more, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Hug one another if they'll let you. And if you need prayer, come forward. God bless you.